You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. The teaching text for today is from Ephesians 4, uh, verses 14 through 16. Uh, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, JP. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. It's so good to be worshiping with you and so good to see some faces that I haven't seen in a while. I'm so glad that we're all here together. I have a couple of very indulgent shout outs to give this morning. The first is that my mom is in the house. Um, uh, Hazel Murphy, all the way from Northern Ireland, the one who is responsible for raising me. Um, My mom and dad uh, have been here for the last six weeks or so helping us out, and I may be hiding their passports tonight so they don't leave tomorrow um, because I don't know what we're going to do. Second shout out goes to Finn and Kit, who are, I think they are somewhere. They may be being, oh, you know what? They're at the back there. Uh, They turned one yesterday. I think I have some photos. There they are. Seriously, so cute. A whole family experience this morning. Um, so today we're continuing the series that we started two Sundays ago, Conspiratio, based on Ephesians 4. And it's really connected to our desire to continue to lean into this theme of unity as a body. And today we're going to be exploring what it looks like to become a mature people. Now, when we talk about maturity, so am I okay, Tom? I just, you know, my ear is not uh, holding up this microphone terribly well. Um, When we talk about maturity, we're not necessarily talking about maturity in age, although the hope is that as we mature in years, we are also maturing in every way. But of course, sadly, that is not always the case. I'm sure we can all think of people in our lives, maybe even ourselves, where we've almost become emotionally stunted in the maturing process. And maybe at times we've find ourselves thinking or even saying, I just wish they or I would grow up. And the key theme in the verses that we'll be unpacking today is the Apostle Paul's call for the church to grow up. Um, One thing we all have in common is that we are physically born, we physically develop and grow through infancy, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and throughout scripture with regards to our spiritual development, we encounter language about being born and growing up too. Scripture uses phrases like being born of the Spirit, being born in Christ, even being born again, as a means to describe the sense of rebirth that we experience by receiving the life of Christ. 
For a long time, um, in the evangelical church in particular, um, there was a very conversion-centric approach to Christianity with a real emphasis on a personal moment of salvation, a personal moment of conversion, of being born, of becoming a Christian. And whilst I would never want to diminish those personal moments of encounter that were very real for very many people, at times, the emphasis was placed on saying yes to Jesus as some sort of destination, Um, a kind of ticket to me getting into heaven when I die, rather than being the beginning of a lifelong journey of getting heaven into me. And I wonder how you might respond to the question on the screen, is it possible to be a Christian and not be a disciple? The truth is these two terms should be synonymous, but sadly, I think it's not always true. The word Christian actually only appears in scripture three times. The word that by far supersedes the word Christian is the word mathetes, which is usually translated as disciple, learner, student, apprentice. And when Jesus called his first followers saying, come and follow me, this is what they were signing up to. It was a life of apprenticeship. This would involve being with Jesus, learning from him, knowing what he knew, doing what he did, so that they would start to look and act and sound like their rabbi Jesus. The Greek word for Christian is Christianos, which means little Christ. And it was actually originally used in a derogatory sense. It's what the Greeks called the followers of the way. They would laugh and jeer at them saying, oh, they're just like little Christs. You see, the early church were so committed to living the teaching and practices of their rabbi Jesus in this radically countercultural way that the most fitting insult the Greeks could think of was little Christs. We become a little Christ through a lifelong journey of discipleship. And the Apostle Paul is very clear that a personal decision to follow Jesus is the beginning of a journey of spiritual formation. Now, what do I mean by that phrase? Well, um, there's a biblical scholar, Jeffrey Greenman, and I think he has a very helpful definition, which is going to be behind me. Spiritual formation is our continuing response to the reality of God's grace, shaping us into the likeness of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in the community of faith for the sake of the world. Now, this is exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage. And so I actually want to talk about the passage by breaking it down into these three components that we heard in that definition. And we're going to start with the first one, maturing into the likeness of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So in a very real way, Paul is calling each of us as individuals to a journey of becoming spiritually mature in Christ. Our spiritual formation doesn't just happen by osmosis. It isn't automatic. It doesn't happen even by our proximity to somebody else who's becoming like Jesus. Nobody else can become like Jesus for me. Just as an apprentice in carpentry doesn't learn his or her trade simply by reading a book about it or even by spectating at a cool distance, it's intimate and experiential. It involves risk and a willingness to make mistakes. It requires time and energy and sweat over the long haul. Dallas Willard famously said this, God is not opposed to effort, but to earning All of us are on a journey towards Christ-likeness. We are all works in progress, and our journey towards Christ-likeness will require active engagement. No matter how long we've been journeying with Jesus, there are always more ways for us to grow and mature. 
Um, last week, I went up to Holy Cross Monastery uh, for a few days of personal retreat. If you've never gone, highly recommend it. Um, but when you go, you're assigned a room, and your, your room is named after a saint. And you go into your room, and there's a little desk. And with all the information about the guest house and the grounds, there's a little description of the saint who is, you know, your room is named after. And, and so I was in the room of St. Francis. And I already knew something about the life of St. Francis and he, he, after hearing a sermon at 27, um, felt this call to commit to a life of poverty, which is a lot of what he's known for. What I didn't know is that he died at 44. And so I'm not too far off that. And I find myself journaling, how does one become a saint between the ages of 27 and 44? If you've read through Paul's letter to the Ephesians in its entirety, at least at my count, you'll notice that nine times he uses the word saint. And he's not actually using the term in the sense of someone like St. Francis, who's canonized as a saint. Paul is using the term saint to describe ordinary followers of Jesus, like you and me, who are on the way, on the journey of becoming holy, becoming Christ-like. Because you see, for Paul, the word points not to what a person does for God, but to what God does in and through and for a person. It is an acknowledgement of the power of the Spirit who does in us what we could never do on our own. Our maturity is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Um, The word spirit in biblical terms means life and breath. The Christian spirituality is utterly dependent upon the life and breath of God, bringing Christ-like transformation. And as such, Christ is both the goal and the source of our growth. Now, whilst transformation is fueled by the Holy Spirit, it is equally true that God invites us to partner with him in his work of grace in our lives. Our life with God is not passive. That's why scripture says things like, make every effort to train yourself in godliness. This involves paying attention to the life of Jesus so that we can imitate him, putting on the character of Christ. This cooperation takes the form of training body, mind, and spirit by means of the spiritual disciplines, prayer, confession, solitude, Sabbath, scripture, justice, fasting. This is why, shameless plug, we encourage everyone to participate in the good way because these are the tools by which we are formed, not only from the inside out, but also from the outside in. They bring congruence between what we say we believe and how we actually live in our day to day. And engaging in the kind of rhythms that we see in the life of Jesus and his disciples are the means by which we mature. I also want to be careful to say, though, that we can really easily compartmentalize our lives into what's spiritual and what's not spiritual. You know, it's really spiritual to read my Bible, not spiritual to go to the gym, right? We do things like that all of the time. But as we grow in Christ-likeness, we are maturing as whole persons, body, mind, will, emotions. Uh, Pete Scazzaro actually said, he's written a lot about emotionally healthy spirituality, and he says that it's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature. One of the practices that we explore during The Good Way is the pursuit of wholeness and holiness. This is about our physical, emotional, and spiritual maturity. It's saying yes to anything that creates an increase in faith, hope, and love in our lives and saying no to the things that don't. This is how we grow out of spiritual infancy. And I want to also be clear that in our teaching text, Paul is not saying that it's wrong to be a spiritual infant. 
If you have just recently said yes to a life of following Jesus, then it is developmentally appropriate for there to be lots of biblical themes and spiritual practices that you haven't yet explored or engaged with. There are certain risks to spiritual infancy, which I'll talk about in just a sec, and Paul would urge new believers to develop an appetite for spiritual things and begin the journey of growing up in our salvation, but it's developmentally appropriate to be an infant when you're an infant. That's one of the reasons why we encourage people who are new to the faith or exploring faith to do Alpha, to join a new believer's core group, then go through the good way, because these are the things that create a solid foundation, not only in belief, but in practice. And you might feel like everything is fresh and new, and you're never even wondering how you got to be in a church building this morning, but God takes great delight in any step that we take towards him. In fact, we're told that all of heaven rejoices when the journey towards Christ is begun. Um, the twins, like I said earlier, just turned one. There are many things they cannot yet do by themselves. Um, they're currently learning to walk, and the majority of the time that looks like taking a step and falling over or kind of flailing into one of our, our arms to be caught. But do we stand over them, berating them for their fumbling attempts? We celebrate every clumsy effort, we cheer and applaud, and yet so often we forget that God, our Father in heaven, celebrates and champions all of our fumbling efforts towards him. What Paul is saying is that it's not okay to stay in spiritual infancy. Finn and Kit can't yet put on their shoes. In fact, they don't even have shoes because they're third and fourth children. But if we provided them with <laughs> shoes, um, we would have no expectation that they could put them on. Um, however, if my seven-year-old dragged her heels about putting her shoes on, I might get a little cross about that because it's developmentally appropriate that she should be able to do that. In the message version of our teaching text, Eugene Peterson paraphrased it like this. No prolonged infancies among us, please. Will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are easy prey for predators. God wants us to grow up. According to Paul, the reality is that when we are spiritually immature, we are more prone to being deceived. We are more easily led astray. Infants are defenseless. They're unable to protect themselves. In a spiritual sense, infants are easy prey for false teachers. Paul uses this language of being tossed about by the wind and the waves. There's this sense of rootlessness, a lack of direction, a susceptibility to manipulation. When we aren't really grounded in who we are in Christ, we can easily be steered away from the truth of who God is in us and for us. And this was really common in the early church. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he addressed false teachers who were preaching another Jesus and a different gospel. And in the context of our passage this morning, Paul is emphasizing the importance of Christ giving pastors and teachers to the body of Christ to lead people towards stability and maturity, to facilitate an increased capacity to discern wisely, to weigh things according to scripture, to seek out wise counsel, to evaluate various forms of teaching, to be able to kind of eat the meat and spit out the bones, as it were. I'd recognize that cry anywhere, by the way. It's probably very strange for them to hear the voice of their mother and then her not respond at all. So there we go. Um, but there's another factor about spiritual infancy that I think is really important for us to address. And it will kind of bring us to this second point about the community of faith. 
Um, Jean Piaget was a famous psychologist. He defined four stages of cognitive development in children. And the second stage, which is known as the pre-operational stage, occurs between the ages of two years old and six years old. And in this stage of development, a child's thinking is extremely self-centered and egocentric. Any parent in the room with a child between two and six? Okay, let's all stretch out a hand. Grace and peace be with us all, in Jesus' name. Um, developmentally, they have difficulty understanding life from any other perspective than their own. Their focus is very much me, myself, and I. When we are spiritual infants, it's quite likely that our focus will all be me and God, me and my small corner and you and yours. But if we stay in spiritual infancy longer than is appropriate, there's a very real risk of developing a private or individualized spirituality that is far from what Christ is inviting us to. Because a very real part of moving towards maturity is the move from I to we and mine to ours. There is a reason why Jesus invites us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. I used to think it was so strange. I was like, why wouldn't Jesus tell us just to pray my father? I could just sit here just all by myself, my life, and communion with Jesus. But it's a very deliberate way of reminding us that our spiritual formation towards Christ-likeness is utterly dependent upon others. You will never reach full maturity on your own. We cannot be mature Christians by ourselves. We cannot give ourselves everything we need for the life of faith. Isn't it interesting that God could have supplied each of us personally with our own little storehouse of gifts that we needed to become like him? But he didn't. Instead, he chose to grace other people in the body so that we would need them and they would need us. This involves being humble enough to admit our dependence on others and to let go of our fantasies about our own goodness. I look back to my early 20s um, in particular and I kind of prided myself in being something of a spiritual lone ranger. Uh, I was, you know, ready to tackle homelessness in Northern Ireland single-handedly. And the truth is that I got myself into more than one serious pickle trying to do it all myself. And there was beauty in my desire and passion for sure. But looking back, there was also a whole lot of ego. Um, because I hadn't yet realized the invitation was to move from me to us. Involving other people meant that I had to share the credit with other people. I don't think I quite fancied that at the time. But a spirituality founded on the independent self or feeding the ego will never lead to the kind of life that the incarnate Christ has made possible for us. In our current culture, I think there's a real growing tendency to divorce spirituality with ecclesiology. What I mean by that, that is like, I want God, but I don't want the church. And I realize that I'm preaching to the choir here because here we all are gathered in this room this morning, but maybe even in this room, there is a sense in which there isn't actually real alignment about why we're here. I mean, what is the point of the church? Why are we all here in this community of faith? The point of the church is to be a formative community a formative community who can maturely participate with God in his mission to restore all of creation. Ronald Rollheiser writes that we go to church because we realize the impotence of our individuality and the limits of our private self. Without the church, we can all too often 
lead the tragedy of the unconfronted life. But with the church, among brothers and sisters who speak the truth in love, we are invited to become whole and holy in a priesthood of believers, a community marked by mutual reciprocal love that shapes us all into greater Christ-likeness through a real sharing of a common life. Our teaching text said, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. God's desire is not for the church to be a large group of self-sufficient individual, individual, sorry, independent individuals with great quiet times, but a richly formative community reflecting the loving interdependence of the Trinity for the sake of the world. We are being called not just to be a mature person, but a mature people. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples that it was through their love for one another that the world would know that they were his disciples. Our spiritual formation is not just for ourselves. It's not even just for one another. It is for the sake of the world. The greatest thing any of us can learn to do is to learn to love well. But we don't learn to love well in isolation. It's only through community that we learn not only to give love, but also to receive love as well. And I actually want to address each of those in turn. So let's talk about giving love. Um, our four-year-old Livy, I hope she's not listening, um, she has developed something of an annoying habit of um, saying, yeah, I already know that, no matter what I say to her. And... I often find myself going, well, if you already know this, why aren't you doing it? Um, but I have to say that I think sometimes I've been guilty of saying that internally when someone gets up and starts speaking about love. I'm like, yeah, 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 I, I got it. I already know that. And I think at times I've distanced myself from growing and maturing in love because I've misunderstood it. You see, my narrative has always been, well, I don't actively hate anyone. So therefore, by default... I love everyone. <laughs> Anybody else think that way? Um, but more recently, I felt this invitation to stop thinking that the opposite of love is hate, but to reframe my thinking by considering the opposite of love to be indifference. Where am I indifferent to a brother or sister? Where am I indifferent to the circumstances of my neighbor? I don't know about you, but it's a lot harder for me to distance myself from that. Love is not an abstraction or an idea. It is personal and concrete. That's why Jesus uses language like love your neighbor instead of just love the world. He's emphasizing that our love must be embodied. It has to have a tangible place to land. Sometimes these days I try to find myself asking questions like, what would love look like in this conversation? What would the most loving response to this question be? Jesus, how are you inviting me to be love embodied for this person or in this situation? A professor recently introduced me to this very helpful prayer. Lord, help me to love for the next 10 minutes. There are no limits to the opportunities for love in this body. JP just talked to us about that. Maybe it's listening. Maybe it's saying a word of encouragement. Maybe it is through sharing finances. Maybe it's being inclusive. Maybe it's being quick to forgive. Maybe it's noticing a need 
and taking action and not just presuming that someone else has got it figured out. Maybe it's speaking the truth in love and saying, hey friend, you're worth more than this. Love should be the lifeblood of this body. Dear friends, John says, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Last week, Ryan talked so beautifully about discovering and using the gifts of the Spirit to build up the church. And I hope you've done some digging and exploring into what your gifts are and how you can bring them to build up this body. Because he reminded us that each of us as followers of Jesus have been graced with a particular way to serve. And yet Paul is also really clear that without love, the gifts are useless. He writes this in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's sobering and important to remember that it is possible for us to be ministering in the gifts of the Spirit without embodying the fruit of the Spirit. It should never be true that we become mature in our gifts but remain immature in our character. The gifts and the fruit must go hand in hand. Our teaching text says, from Christ who is the head, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When it comes to love, it's not just about giving, though. So let's talk about receiving, because let's name it. Some of us have very significant savior complexes, and we would much rather be on the giving end than the receiving end. I can say that because that's me, too. Um, giving makes us feel strong and capable. Receiving kind of makes us feel weak and vulnerable. Um, not that long ago, I remember sensing that God was saying to me, Gemma, your spiritual maturity will be stunted unless you truly learn to ask for help. You love people well. You do. You put yourself on the line for others. You show up, but you don't always let other people do the same for you. You don't always let people see the cracks. And until you're willing to invite people into your own weakness and actually be vulnerable and dependent on others, you're not growing in the way of love. When I was uh, pregnant with the twins, uh, another twin mom gave me this very helpful word of advice, accept all help that is offered. Um, and so I tried to make that my spiritual discipline. If anybody offered help, I'd be like, yep, yeah, hold a baby, do whatever. Um, but then I felt like God was stretching me a little further. Don't just receive help ask for it. Um, just this week, uh, John was in California for the week with work. And, and sometimes when John is traveling, I kind of lock down into super mom mode, um, which is where I'm like, I will do it all myself. I will get the four kids up. I'll make breakfast. I'll pack lunches. I'll get them all dressed. I'll get myself dressed. Better yet, I'll sleep in my clothes. And then at 8 a.m., we'll all get out of the house. I'll get the two older ones to school. And then I just hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Gemma, 
what would it be like to just ask someone to help you? And luckily for me, I've had my mom here helping, so she has been amazing. Um, but sometimes asking family for help is a little bit easier than asking others. And so I also asked Brittany Matheson, who's not here, but major shout out to Brittany Matheson, who's affectionately known as B in our home. And B showed up at 8 a.m. with all of her warmth and energy and fun. And she took the oldest two to school so that I could stay home with the twins and not have to sleep in my clothes and jump through all the, hope, the hoops. And it felt good to receive love. It felt good um, for my family and for me, this fostering and nurturing of relationships of honesty and trust and dependence. And it, it's generative. It brings life and more life because it brings life to me, but it also brings life to the one who helps. Jesus, the son of God, Lord of heaven and earth, was willing to ask a stranger for a drink of water. He allowed people to minister to his needs. He even watched someone else carry his cross the way of love is humble. The ego really is the main problem in all of our dysfunction in relationships, isn't it? I mean, disunity originates in pride. So it might be wise for each of us to ask ourselves today, where is my ego causing disunity in my relationships? Where is my pride getting in the way of my spiritual maturity? Where might my ego even be causing disunity in this body? We are not competitors. We are brothers and sisters. And Jesus is inviting us to function as an interdependent body, needing one another, showing up for one another, giving and receiving. Love is the distinctive litmus test of true discipleship. Love, both the quality of our giving and receiving, is the defining characteristic of a mature people. And somehow, mysteriously, Jesus is saying, this is how the church lives out the Missio Dei, the mission of God. This is how we participate with him in the restoration of the world. It's through our unity and our maturity and love as a people that the church becomes a witness to the world of the saving love of Christ. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Wouldn't it be great if um, our neighbors and our people in our workplaces, our colleagues, they heard about Oaks Church Brooklyn and their response was, yeah, I, I hear that they love really well. I experienced love from someone who goes there the other day. They did this or they said this. And I want to ask us to do something this morning that we don't normally do, but I'm going to encourage you just to, we're going to pray, and I want you just to put your hand on the right shoulder of the person next to you. That's it. You can do it. You might have to move a little bit. That's fine. If you're in an aisle, if you're in an aisle, you're going to send your prayers across it as well. But I just want to take a moment. Clearly, this was really radically new and different because we're all just like, wow, the novelty of this. Um, I just want to take a moment. Let's acknowledge people on our right, people on our left. We are saints of God. We are on a journey of becoming whole and holy. 
to become a priesthood of all believers, a holy people, a mature people. And we don't often do this as a whole body, but I want us to pray for us as a body in this moment. And I know that you all just made noise a second ago by just doing this, so we can make noise in our prayers as we do this. We can pray our prayers out loud. If you don't feel comfortable, I understand, you can pray silently, but we're just gonna take a few moments and let's just pray. Let's pray that we would become a mature people, the people of God, that we would embody everything that we've just talked about, that it wouldn't just be words that we consume because consuming knowledge doesn't change us. We want to live the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Join me in your prayers right now. Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us to become a mature people? Lord, would you teach us the humble way of love? Would we be a people marked by the interdependence of the Trinity, that we would give love to others without question, that we would be generous? Lord, that we would be also vulnerable, that we would receive love from others, that we would let people see the cracks in our own lives, that we would tell people what our needs are. Lord, would you make us a people of love? Jesus, mature us, grow us. Ezekiel 37, Patrick reminded me of, of this morning, there's these dry bones in a valley. And he tells Ezekiel to speak to the dry bones. And this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Holy Spirit, would you breathe on us this morning as a body? Would you bring us to life? Lord, would we rise up as the church in this neighborhood, in this city, in this borough? Lord, would you make us a people of love that we could join you in your mission to restore all of creation, to full communion with you. Ronald Rollheiser says these words, it's to stand shoulder to shoulder and hand in hand, precisely with people who are very different from ourselves. And with them, hear a common word, say a common creed, share a common bread and offer a mutual forgiveness so as in that way to bridge our differences and become a common heart. Jesus, would you give us a common heart this morning? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we're gonna we're gonna worship in a second, but I also just want to recognize that I, whilst there are invitations for us communally, I also have been sensing a couple of um, invitations for us individually. Um, and I'm gonna ask the prayer team if you would just come and make yourselves available, either in this little cozy corner over here or in the rug over here. Um, and there's there's two invitations in particular that I wanted to extend. And the first one, I think that there were maybe some people in the room, particularly women in the room, who when I talked about um, the difficulty in asking for help, something just uh, resonated in your spirit. I think there are some women in the room, you are givers and lovers and mothers and you show up for other people, but I think sometimes you hide behind your acts of service. And you actually fear the vulnerability of needing help and asking for help. And if that's you this morning, I think one small step 
in vulnerability would be just to come to one of these brothers and sisters and say, you know what, I, I need care too. I'm weak too. I need help too. And just have someone come and pray that you would learn the way of love of receiving it as well. And this is a little different, but this week I've had this phrase in my head as I've been praying for this morning. And I think that there are some people gathered in this body who, at least from your point of view, have this kind of open relationship with Jesus. It's kind of like you like dating Jesus. Um, You really enjoy spending time with him, but you've also got some other side gigs going on. And it's, they're preventing you from giving yourself fully to Jesus the way he gives himself fully to you. And the verse that I've had in my mind is that when Jesus called out to his disciples, when he was calling them for the first time, they each had other commitments. They had vocations and people that they loved. But something about that invitation from Jesus stopped them in their tracks and caused them to drop their nets and follow him. There was something about who he was that just communicated to them that life could only be found in him, at least the life that they wanted and knew that they could have. And I think that there are some of us who have become entangled with the nets in our lives. And it's only a matter of time before those start doing some serious damage. And the invitation today is, would you drop your nets and would you follow Jesus? Would you give yourself fully to him as he gives himself fully to you? Because only when you give him your whole self, when you lose your life, that you will actually find it. You will discover the way of love. And so we're gonna worship together. And during this first song, if you have just felt some sort of resonance in any of these invitations or, or the words today, I'm gonna to ask you to bravely go forward to the either corner of the room here and ask for prayer. And then in just a second, I'm gonna bring us all to the table to just share in communion together. But let's be bold and let's respond as Christ is leading you this morning.